we're in a series right now that we're calling The Power of One. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. The Power of One. Oh, it sounds so good. And, uh, and so we, this is our third part of our series, and we'll close out next week. And, uh, and actually, if you'll be, uh, if you'll, uh, I want to remind you that next week, August 27th, is, uh, is our special service for any of your friends and neighbors and coworkers that you've kind of been reaching out to and like to invite them to a service. In fact, actually, what we're asking you to ask them is would they be willing to give one day to God? Just one day, this one Sunday, would they be willing to give it to God and come with you to our services and the power of one? And so we, just one day. And so I'm encouraging you, a coworker, neighbor, a relative, uh, you know, somebody that you just know that, that, that they probably just need to, to have some, some time with the Lord. Maybe they've had a rough year or a rough, you know, couple of years, and they, it's not that they don't love God, they just hadn't been in church in a long time, and maybe they just need to come and be with the people of God and experience the Lord. And we promise to shorten the service a little bit. I think we're going to do about an hour and 15 minute service, shorten our worship a little bit, get that preacher to shut up and stop preaching so long, and so we'll work towards some things to make it a little easier, and uh, we'll beg for money a little longer. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do any of those things. So, uh, with that being said, let's review for a moment. If you have uh, been taking notes, we started the month, uh, excuse me, the series with um, the power of one uh, decision of obedience. That was our first part our, a couple weeks ago, and and we talked about um, where. Uh Jesus uh, literally encouraged or, or grabbed Philip and asked him to stop the revival he was a part of and leave Samaria and go out in the wilderness, out in the desert, and go and just go wait to hear from him. As he got out there and he obeyed, he found this Ethiopian uh, dignitary, this CFO, if you will, of Ethiopia, and the guy was seeking God, wanted to try to find God, and uh, reading the scriptures and didn't understand it. And Philip explained it to him, and he said, "I want to be saved." And he water baptized him. There's a puddle of water out in the desert. He water baptized him and. As soon as he comes up out of the water, Philip is literally translated away about 25 miles away. And the Ethiopian jumped up, started praising God. And history tells us that he went back to his country and literally started a revival in Ethiopia. All because one person, come on now, the power of one decision of obedience. And that was our first week. If you didn't get to hear that, go back and listen to the podcast. Really good. Second week, which was last week, and we talked about the power of one act of kindness. One act of kindness. And we looked at that place in Scripture where Jesus was so gracious with a man who didn't deserve it, Zacchaeus. A little, a little Napoleon syndrome, a little jerk of a man, a guy who lived for himself and for money. And in this moment where his heart was open, Jesus called him down out of his mess, went down into his house with him and showed him love and acceptance when everyone else was like, I can't believe he'd go be with this sinner, this wicked tax collector. And the power of just one act of kindness. And, and I challenged you guys and you, you took the little cards that just talking about, you know, the little acts of kindness that as you went out into, the, you know, your, 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 you're weak and you know hanging out with new people and standing in lines for schools and school supplies and I just we had just a great little testimony come across uh, the wire to us and I thought I would share just a piece, a piece of it. Alistair told us this so that they went to Costco right after Sunday service after I'd preached about this and the act of kindness and and that you know the wife and the kids were shopping and, and and he got a little tired so he looked over to go sit down and if you've ever been to Costco they got the little area kind of like the food court area with all the little tables about the only place to sit but they were all packed. Everybody was going after church to get their, you know, $1.99 hot dog and drink. And so, and so, you know, he's standing there and he's like, where am I going to sit? There's no empty tables. And he saw a table with a lady sitting over there. He went and just, he said, maybe God wants me to be bold and just go and sit down with him and just sit down with this lady and come to find out she worked there. Sweet lady who loved God but was going through a hard time. And Alistair began to just talk to her and just begin to minister to her and pray with her and love on her. And she got 
excited. And his family came around about that time and loved on one act of kindness. And he said she'd been looking for a church, so she may show up here at Church on the Hill. So if that's you, sweetheart, welcome to our church. We love you. Thank you, Alistair. One act of kindness. That's Church on the Hill right there. And so today, we'll be talking about the power of one moment of truth. One moment of truth. Our key scripture is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. 2 Timothy 1 and 8. You'll see it on the screens. It says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the men and women of Church on the Hill pastor, everybody, Lord God, connected to this movement called Church on the Hill, that, Lord God, that we would never be ashamed to tell about what you've done in our lives. And, Lord, we know, Lord God, that this world is hurting and very confused. And, Lord, we ask you now to give us grace and mercy and give us the ability, Lord God, to literally take advantage of those moments of truth and speak out truth in love. Father, I pray that you would help me to guide these, your people, to give them wisdom and guidance from your holy scriptures and that, Lord God, anything that's of me, just I pray they don't even get to hear it, but they only hear your voice coming through the word of God. And may it change our lives forever in Jesus' name. And everybody shout it, amen. So again, our key scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Hit, get that written down real good so you'll always have that. It says, and so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Uh, Jesus is my Lord. Is he your Lord? Say yes. Are, are you in love with him like I am? Say yes. I know you are. And one of the things that I'm totally convinced of, I'm totally convinced of, is that the reason why the world doesn't serve God is because they've been lied to and they don't know the truth. I'm convinced that there's not a person on the planet that would purposefully destine themselves to hell. That I'm convinced that there's not a person on the planet that would actually say to the real God, slap him in the face and say, I don't want you in my life. I am convinced that the enemy has so lied to a generation and so deceived them that they think there is no God. They think that life has nothing but hopelessness. They think that somehow science can explain away creation They think that somehow philosophy can make life moral. And as a result, they don't know the one true God because lies and manipulations from the pit of hell have dominated our world and our world system. And I'm convinced if they could just have a little energy, just a little, just a small bit of interjection of truth, that it would change them forever. If they could just see it for a moment, if they could just be for a moment, not have their eyes blinded, that if they could just see it for a moment, that forever and ever and ever their lives would be changed. And let me tell you, how I personally handle truth in reference to other people. Here's a couple thoughts that I do. Number one, I share truth with everyone who will let me. Anyone I can come in contact with, I share truth with anyone who will let me. Number two, I teach truth to those who are desirous to know truth, like you. I teach you truth because you want it. Now, I don't do that. I don't teach truth to those who reject it and don't want it. Here's the third thing about me is I live truth before those who are skeptical. So there are those who, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe in in Christians. I sure don't believe in pastors. So I live out truth in front of them so that they can see a real genuine example, which is what Jesus did. That's why he had to come to the planet to live it out so that we could see and we could know that the Messiah didn't just sit up in heaven demanding us to do things, but came and lived it amongst us. And then the fourth thing that I do is I love with truth those who are indignant, those who are opposed, those who are hateful, those who are angry, 
those who are atheists, if you will, or agnostic, I love with truth. I don't bombard them with truth. I don't try to change them. I just simply love with truth. If you'll take this concept as I've explained it, how I do it, I think it'll help you because I think some of you are trying to teach truth to those who will not learn truth from you. I think others are trying to ram truth into those who are indignant and causing all of this conflict and causing the name of the Lord to be even more destroyed. I think that we miss moments of speaking truth to those who are open because we are so busy ramming truth to those who are not open. And so what we've got to learn to do is seek to save that which is lost. Go looking for those who are open. And there present truth. And there present love. And show the kindness and the goodness of God. Look at this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 4. four. It really puts it in perspective. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You somehow think that if you can just tell them more or if you can just bang it into their brain a little bit more, they'll get it. And what you don't realize is that the God of this age has blinded them to matter no matter how much truth you live, no matter how good you are in reference to a relationship with the Lord, they cannot see it because they have been Blinded. Everybody say blinded. And so as a result, you see people even who live in the church who are blinded to truth. They'll live in the church, the community of believers, but are blinded to the truth of who God is and the relationship they can have with Him. In fact, they're just professional Christians without a relationship with the living God. You meet people like that. I meet people all the time who are, they call themselves agnostic or they call themselves even another level of atheist. They believe there is no God. And the only real reason that is there is because they've been blinded to the truth. The Bible says it very clear. The God of this age has kept the light of God from coming into their, into, their, uh, into their life. And so what we then have to do to combat that, first and foremost, guys, you can't present truth when there is blindedness. What you've got to pray for is enlightenment. Come on now. You've got to pray, oh God, open their eyes. Open their eyes to what they're going through. Some of you got children who grew up in the church and they're away from God now and you're frustrated and kind of at you. You just keep praying. Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes to the light of the living God. The love of the living God, the goodness of the living God. You don't need to bombard them and say, yeah, I tell you right now, hallelujah, the Bible says. They're not seeing that. They're not hearing that. Why? Because they've been blinded to it. What we have to believe for is for their eyes to be open. And I'm telling you, when that moment of opportunity hits, then you and I must not be ashamed to present that truth. Say, baby, I love you. I've, I've prayed for you for years. And I'm, and I'm sorry that you're going through this. But now that your eyes are open to how wicked this world and world system and the demonic forces that have been pushing you and driving you to this, now may I speak a little bit of truth to you? Can I show you why mama, why daddy has lived this way? Or why, bro, as your coworker, I've done this. And why, why I do it, who I found in Christ. And friend, when you and I present truth, and the truth, the Bible says, they'll know it. And it'll set them free. So here's the problem. I, I'm not propagating. I'm not propagating a, uh, a you know a conservative movement. I'm not someone who's trying to put my political views into the lives of others. I'm crying out for eyes to be open that they may see the goodness of the living God. Because when they see him, then there's no way in my mind, if they could just know how good he is and the truth of who he is, there's just no way in my mind that they could reject him. I get it. Some still do. And, and, I, and the scriptures talk about that. But friend, the majority of people who are hurting around the world have never seen the full truth. And so we start 
with presenting truth by covering people in prayer and asking for open arms and open eyes, excuse me, to see that truth. I love what I saw a few years ago, and I wanted to play it for you today. Uh, has anybody ever heard of Penn and Teller? Do you all know those guys? They're the magician guys. They, they're, I think they're in Vegas, is that mainly? They had a show, uh, you know, on one of the cable network channels where they, where they actually showed a little bit, you know, about, uh, 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 you know, excuse me, where they, they showcased other up-and-coming magicians and things like that. So, so they've been around a long time. Well, Penn is the taller one. He's the one who talks. And, uh, and he is a brilliant dude. I mean, just brilliant. He's an atheist. He does not believe there is a God. And, uh, and, and he uh, did a little um, uh, video blog a couple years ago. I guess he's got, you know, for his Instagram or something like that. And, uh, and I found it, and it's him talking about a man, a businessman, waiting for him after the show down front. And, and I guess Penn, he goes and he, inter- he interacts with him a little bit. And, uh, and so this man gave him a Bible and told him about Jesus. And to hear this atheist's response to that, and you see him, he's a, it's, it's like the next day or a couple days later, as he is contemplating this interaction with this man who went, who presented truth to him, even though he didn't want to hear it, and the way this, this interaction went. And I just thought it would be really neat. It's about three minutes. I'd like to play that for you now. Are you guys ready for that? If you go ahead and play that, that'd be great. Let them see Penn talking about this interaction. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and, uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language, and um, and then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that 
and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Can you believe that? So, so this guy doesn't believe there is a God. He's a celebrity. And yet one man being kind, one man having a moment of truth to give to him, calls this man, who has plenty of things to talk to all his followers about, to sit there and, and, in a moment and discuss about, well, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, how much hate do you have to have in your heart? To not allow, to not proselytize is the term he used, which means simply to present truth to others, to try to convince them to make a change. How much do you have to hate them? So we've got pagans teaching us as Christians what is wrong with us by not loving, hurting people and explaining to them the destiny that awaits them if they do not make Jesus their Lord and Savior. Friend, I don't know about you, but that convicts me. That cuts me to the heart. That even though he's solidified, he doesn't ever want to believe in God. But let me tell you something. He can say that on video, but you can see in his eyes that that thing's eaten. That truth is eaten. See, that little bit of truth. See, God may not have you harvest those individuals, but he may have you just present that little truth. And that thing germinates. And it germinates down in there until one day when God speaks to that person, they have that seed that's been germinating of truth. And it comes to life inside of them. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to you. Each and every one of us. Someone presented truth to us, and we had to come to a place of deciding, yes, we believe it, or no, we don't. For some of us, we grew up in the church, and we felt as though the truth was always given to us, and we didn't have a chance to experience anything else. So we went out, and we tried to live a little bit of that other stuff, and realized, wait a minute, that truth is back over here. And we came back. Why? Because there was that truth inside of us that kept on stirring, no matter how far away from God we got, the truth was in there. See, here's my concern, is that we've now got a nation that didn't grow up knowing truth. we now have a, a bunch of millennials who never went to church, who never know, have never known God in a personal way, and as a result, they're coming with all this philosophical stuff of what life is about and what the end is all about, and they've never seen truth. Why? Because the God of this age, of this world, has blinded them, and friend, can I tell you, it is time for us to embrace the power of one little moment of truth. We may not be able to get everybody saved tomorrow. We may not, we may not have this massive revival at your business, but friend, if you You'll just get that one little moment and take advantage of it and present that truth. We have no idea the impact that it can make on a per- person's life. Frank, can I tell you something? It is time for you and I to live out truth. And I don't know why we're scared. I, I don't know why fear has been killing us. And that's what it's been doing. The fear has been killing us. The fear of offending people. The fear of others rejecting the truth or our truth. The fear of not being able to win a theological debate if they started off into something. The f- 
excuse me, the fear of some sort of humiliation. All of these fears are killing us. Meanwhile, people are dying and going to hell because we're worried about offending them. And I love what a pagan had to tell me. How much do you have to hate somebody that you won't tell them the truth because you're more worried that they won't like you? And I love this passage in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear. So your answer is not to be a better preacher to people or a better Christian so that you can... You can what, your answer is, Lord, let me fall in love with hurting people. Let me care about people beyond all of my selfish ambition throughout the day. Let me see, Lord God, how you see them. Let me be in love with them Lord, like you're in love with them because perfect love drives out all fear. Then I won't be scared. Have you ever seen a mama lose a kid, a toddler in Walmart? I was in there not so long ago, and look, this woman had them locking the doors down. She was yelling and screaming, and everybody in Walmart stopped to find her toddler who done climbed up in something and was hiding from her. Second problem, she didn't whoop him. That was the second problem. I bet he wouldn't do that again at my house. Anyway, there's a beautiful piece that I want to teach you today. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17, and I believe that you're of the place. Could we, would you guys... Be up to it. I don't know if you have the physical strength for it. But would you be up to me reading you 17 verses of scripture today? You think you could handle it? All right, we'll see. We'll see. Actually, that's not true. It's only 12 verses. I just wanted to see if you'd agree to 17. So now I got 12 in there real easily. We're going to look at this passage in Acts chapter 17. And this is where Paul interacts in the uh, Areopagus. And, uh, and let me kind of set the scene for what we're about to read. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, just days or weeks before, he and uh, Silas had been in Philippi. And uh, they had cast the devil out of this little girl. And the people in the area got mad because she was their palm reader. And when they did that, they beat him, flogged them, and put him in jail. And that's that passage that uh, Pastor Jonathan preached about not so long ago, I believe, uh, where they began to sing. And the, all of a sudden, the earthquake came and opened up the doors for him. And, and uh, this, the jailer got saved and his whole household. They left, uh, they left Philippi and they went to Thessalonica. And there, a bunch of Jews stirred up a mob against them, tried to kill them. And so they fled Philippi and they went to Berea. And in Berea, they began to, that's where we get the term Bereans. It says the Bereans were more noble and they wanted to know more about God. So they started getting saved. And these same Jews came and chased them down from, uh, from Thessalonica, came to Berea and started stirring up everybody again. He's going to get them all stirred up and getting everybody trying to kill them. And so the Christian leaders took Paul and they sent him to Athens. They put him in a big, bigger city. The, uh, Athens was a metropolitan city. Uh, it would be kind of like one of our LA's or kind of like a San Francisco. And actually, uh, it was a place of intellectual, it, it was an intellectual centerpiece for uh, uh, the ancient world. Athens was where they sat around philosophizing. Uh, you hear about all the Greek mythology and you talk about Athens and some of your classes in history. And it just it was a very popular city. So he walks into this giant city. They've all dumped him off there because they're ministering and having revival over in Berea but they had to get Paul out of there because the Jews were trying to kill him because he was the mouthpiece, the centerpiece so they drop him off at Athens, he's standing around with nothing to do and so he starts going out into the marketplace and he starts sharing people the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and as he's sharing the truth out in the marketplace as he begins to share where everybody's just doing business as he's just living out his faith in the 
marketplace. I'm going somewhere. As he just begins to just live out truth, he's not hiding in a house somewhere. He's not doing Bible study with people who already believe in God. He's just out there in the marketplace, just loving on folks, doing his daily life, his grocery shopping, his business, renting apartments and everything else he's doing. And as he begins to share with them this truth, all of these intellectuals start saying, this dude's got something. What's he talking about? This is a fresh new idea. We want to hear about it. And so they invite him over to this center civic center where all the intellectuals of the hour sit around philosophizing and arguing truths and, and debating on whether or not the earth is round or is it square. And is there really a God? And is Zeus the king of all the gods? And they're having all of these argumental d- debates. And they invite Paul to come and interact with them. So from this passage, these 12 verses, Paul lays out truth. Everybody say truth. He lays out, say it again with me, truth. And I thought no better place for you and I to learn how to lay out truth for people other than 2,000 years ago what Paul did out in the marketplace with all the people who think they know something. And we, we see here a great little premise by which you and I can use to help other people see truth. So here we go. 12 verses. Hold on real tight. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus. Aragopagus. There you go. Aragopagus. And said, I, I practiced all night long. I'm too tired to worry about it. Men's, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I've even found an altar which is inscri- which th- with this inscription uh, to an unknown God. Now what you, what you worship as something un- unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he gives himself, uh, he, he gives himself, himself, gives all men life and breath and everything else. And from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And some of our of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that he is that, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorantness, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's talking about Jesus. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. Verses 32 through 34. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Um, among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. That's it. I got it now. Uh, the Areopagus, because it sounds like some kid's play or something. Anyway, also a woman named Demarius, a, mem- a number of others also as well. So what happens is not everybody believes this truth because they're blinded. But then a few say, hey, can we talk to you some more about that? Can we talk to you some more about that? In this, we find that Paul lays out 
five basic truth principles that I would encourage you and that I use to help others know the truth of God's ways, his will, and who he is. So let's break these down. Number one, the first truth that Paul lays out, and that is the God who made the world is Lord. The God who made the world. So he goes down into this whole thing. He says, listen, let me start with this whole thing, this whole creation thing. Everything you see, them trees over there, there's a God who made that. Oh, and they probably agree with it. Yes, yes, the sun God or the such and such. No, 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 no. The God who made that, he's also Lord. In other words, he is to be worshipped. He is to be feared. He is to be honored. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and everything therein. He continues on with a second truth. And the reason, let me go back to the first truth. The reason why this is so important, because people need to know they're not God. They are not God. They are not the center of the world. The creator is the center of the world. He made it all, and he deserves to be worshipped. And he is the God of all, and he is the Lord of all. His second truth, and we'll pull, pull this one out, the second truth is that he made all of humanity and determined their lives. He goes into all of that. He goes, and let me explain something else. He took one man, and from this one man, Adam, he created all of humanity. This God is so powerful, he took one man and created everybody that's on the planet today. In other words, you need to understand something. He made every one of us, and, if he, and what Paul is doing is he's personalizing it. He's personalizing. God made you. If he made you, then he wants a relationship with you. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, listen, God made all of us. And he, and, and, and he put every one of our lives where they're supposed to be. How, how do you, because they're, again, philosophizing, trying to be intellectuals. He's saying, now listen, how is it that you live here and you don't live over there? How is it that you live in this time frame? And you, there's a God who determined all of that and put all those things in action. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with you. Because he's your creator and he's your Lord and he wants to be your friend. And he goes down this whole truth thing with them, and he continues on. Here's the third truth that he presents to him. He says this, basically his third truth is, he expects humanity to seek out their creator. So this God who created everything, who's the Lord of everything, who wants a relationship with you, he expected humanity to seek him out. In other words, he gave you free will whether you wanted to love him or not. But he had an expectation that you would reach out to him, that men would stretch out their hands, that they would seek him to find him. He had that expectation. He built inside of you. That's why you're lonely. That's why you're frustrated. That's why y'all are sitting around this thing philosophizing, trying to figure out the meaning of life. Why? Because God put that inside of you so that you would try to find him because he is the one who made you. He's the one who's the Lord over you. And he's the one who determined your times and your seasons. And he's the one who loves you. And he's the one that wants a relationship with you. And then he moves into his fourth truth. And that is this. He has set a time to judge the world. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge whether or not you accepted him, ran away from him, wanted him, denied him. He's going to, he set a time. It's been set. It was preset. The appointment was set thousands of years ago. It's coming up time. The time is coming. Friend, I'll tell you something. When I minister to people and people I don't know, this is what I do. I always tell them, listen, you know the God of heaven and earth wants a relationship with you. Do you really think we came from monkeys? Do you really think that some little something bumped into the, out in the atmosphere billions of years ago and then from that came all this intelligent life or you had that much faith? Well, let me give, use a, half of that faith and talk about the one who actually created us because it takes twice as much faith to believe that craziness to believe that there's intelligent design. Look at your little child. How in the world all those functions work properly? If one little chromosome is off by a little bit, that child dies. 
Who puts all that into motion? Sustains that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who created you. There's a God who wants a relationship with you. And friend, let me tell you something. He wants you to know him. He wants you to reach out your hand and welcome him into your life. He's put the trees so that you would recognize he was there. He put that beautiful sun that comes up every morning and it never misses a lick. He did that just so you would say, wait a minute. There's a God out there. I must want to know. I want to know him. I'm, I need to get to interact with him. And then I share with him. And let me tell you something. If you don't want that, I get that. I understand that. But you do need to be aware there will be a judgment day. There'll be a day of truth. There'll be a day of truth where you have to give an account for why you did or did not want the God of heaven and earth in your life. Why you rejected his love gift. And that was Paul's fifth truth point, And that is he sent his son Jesus and Jesus is the way. And he said not only that, but he resurrected him from the dead. Now you got to understand, in ancient times, they're blown away that someone would talk about a dead man coming back to life. Never seen it. Never heard about it. They're in Athens. It doesn't happen. It cannot happen. And you got to understand, again, Greek mythology, if he dies, then he's become a god. Which then would mean that they would come back and talk to us and empower us. And we've never seen that happen either. So these guys are all arguing back and forth on all these principles. And Paul tells them, and then by the way, let me explain something to you. There will be a judgment. And the whole judgment will not be based on whether you were good or bad or follow the Torah properly. Or whether or not you were a Judaizer. Or whether or not you did this or you kept the, kept the feast properly. It will all come down to one single piece. Did you make Jesus the Lord of your life? For he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. So he presents these five points of truth in his teaching. Uh, as he stands in front of these people, he, uh, as you read it, you know, those 12 verses took me about 90 seconds to read only because I was stum- stumbling over half the words. But in that moment, he presents that five, you know, those 12 verses of truth probably took him 90 seconds to 180 seconds. And most of those people said, you're crazy. But then there were those whose eyes were open. Who said, I'd like to know more about this. I would like to know. See, it is not my responsibility or my role in life to win people to God. That's God's business. It's mine to present them to the, with the truth. To love them the best way I know how. To encourage them the best way I know how. To follow after that truth. But I can't save. You can't save. So you better just go ahead and own that and say, amen. Amen. You can't save them. You can't get them to turn around. You can't change their will. Have you tried that, parents? Try that. Try that, try that with your teenager. Try to change their will. Try to, look, all they do is dig in a little deeper. Try to change your wife, bro. See, how, how's that been working for you? How's that been working for you? Sweet love, you, you married him thinking you could fix him. <laughs> Whoops. But, oh, when the light shines into that darkness... And that which is hidden becomes alive and makes sense all of a sudden. Then all of a sudden people can say, wait a minute, I know, now I see the light. And like the blind man says, once I was blind, but now I see. Do you too want to give your life to Jesus? For he's changed my life as he will yours as well. Frank, can I tell you something? You don't have to be under any pressure to get everybody saved. You just need to learn how to present the truth of God's love for a hurting generation. And may the light of God shine forth through that truth. May that seed start germinating till one day they look at somebody that you know or we know or somebody else and say, I want that Jesus. I can't do it anymore. I can't run away from him anymore. I need that Jesus. And so today, I want to take the last three minutes and give you a couple little tools. A couple little tools. Is that all right? Say yes. So we know some truths. You got those truths now. You can present those in any kind of order or fashion you want to with people that you love. 
I believe in, in this church that we actually love people. We don't want them to burn in hell. I don't think we hate people. I do believe we've got to face a little bit of that fear and intrepidation and overcome it. And hopefully these truths will help you. But in this moment, what I want to do is I want to give every one of you two formats, two little tools. Put in your tool bag. Come on, you know the little guys that work at the little tool bags? Give you a couple of tools. This first one we're going to hand you as you go to walk out the door. Now this is just, we went, we went, we went all uh, uh, nostalgic with this little thing. You remember the tracks back in the 80s we used to give everybody? And we like, here, read this, and we'll run off from them, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and all the drawings, you know, uh, most of the drawings look like, you know, uh, the guy who did all the good times drawings. I mean, it was really cool and really hip. And, uh, and so we said, let's go nostalgic for some folks in the, in the room. So we got this little card that we're giving to you today to take. And, and maybe you can present it to somebody or hand it to somebody, talk to somebody. And it's one of those kind of 3D little cards that changes as you move it. And it's real simple. And the first little piece, it just says, God created us. And it shows us and God in the same place. And then all of a sudden you tilt it a little bit. And then it changes and it says sin separated us. Uh, us and God, and it shows sin down the middle, and then you tilt it one more time, and it says, and Jesus died for us, and it literally shows the cross connecting us and God back together. Really cool, really neat, little fun thing. Yeah, really cool little thing. So we're going to give you those in case you want to be nostalgic. Say, bro, come here, you got to see what my church gave me, man. What do you think about that? Pretty cool, huh? So do you want to get saved? I mean, you know, whatever you want to do, you can... <laughs> and so I thought it'd be fun. It'd be fun. It'd be fun, you know, even, you know, to, uh, to leave at the doctor's office, something like that. See some little kid chewing on it next week or something. Anyway, it'd be fun. And, then, and now we want to give you a second tool in your bag. You ready? Isn't that good? Say yes. Here's the second tool, and uh, we'll put it up on the screen. And we want to, um, so we, we've interacted with this group called Yes, He Is. Okay, now, yes, he is, and this is a little more modern way of kind of expressing truth to friends and relatives, and, you know, most of your friends you interact with on social media more than you do face-to-face anyway, so let me give you Yes, He Is app, and, uh, and so you can go, if you're an Android user, <laughs> you can go find that in what you call your app store, I forget what y'all call that, anyway, and those of you that are, uh, are, that are OS guys, you know, you can go to uh, the app store, and you can search Yes, He Is, it's a free app, and let me explain to you about this app that is so cool, so a uh, UK uh, uh, billionaire uh, businessman from the UK uh, got right with God. And promised the Lord that he would do something great for the kingdom of God. So what he did was he spent millions and millions of dollars to develop this app. And with that, these are, they've got testimonies all over it that, of people's lives that have been changed by Jesus on any topic that you probably would be interested in. And what he's, uh, what he's, it's all free. And what he's allowed you to do is download that app. He's paid for it, this billionaire, because he wants to see the gospel go forward. And their goal is to reach 3 billion people on the planet with the message of the gospel. And what you can do with this app, you can go and you can search some testimonies that you really think really would hit the mark on some of the friends and relatives and coworkers that you have. And then what you can do is you can send it to them. And it'll go either to their phone or you could send it to them on Facebook. But literally, you can send to them that video. They can watch it. It can be a discussion starter. Or you can play it right there and say, dude, I've been watching this. What do you think about this right here? They're quick. They're sharp. They're powerful. uh, They're impactful, excuse me. Very powerful. Great tool. You can post it all over your social media if you want to just do one of those blasts. Like, you know, some of you guys, that's just how you do it. I don't know if anybody got right, but I threw it out there. You know, if you want to do it that way. But that gives you a better look. And so this is a free app download, and uh, we've been working with them. And so it should be really cool for you to help encourage those. Uh, some of you got some friends that, uh, that you've never really expressed truth to, and you're kind of feeling that right now as you're sitting in the service. I, I think about a couple that maybe I have been a little sloppy on in reference to that. 
and maybe this little tool will help you a little bit. Amen? So there's you a couple tools, not to mention the power of God flowing through you to speak truth in a, in a powerful moment. Stand with me all across the room. Hope that gave you a couple little pieces. Our time is done, and uh, your little blessings are starting to get antsy, so we got to wrap up the service. Let's do a little bit of ministry for just a moment to the Lord and, and to ourselves. I want you just to put your stuff down and stand with me. I want to pray today that you and I, that we would take advantage of those moments of truth. That you and I would be men and women who pray for the eyes to be open. And that we would take Paul's example in the workplace, out in the place with the intellectuals, those who... I thought it was interesting that Paul didn't do a giant dissertation to try to outsmart the intellectuals. Isn't that interesting? He just presented the five basic truths. There's God. He's the creator of everything. He even created you. He actually puts you to be alive at this moment, this time. He, he puts you here. He's done that because he loves you and he expected you to seek, seek him out. He wants a relationship with you. There's a day coming. There's a judgment day set on whether or not you accepted or rejected this truth. You're gonna, you're, there's, a, there's a final exam on it. And uh, I hope you make it. But let me tell you the key component to winning or passing this final exam. His name is Jesus. He's the way. If you ask him into your life, the Bible says he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Could you just join hands with that person next to you? Could we just pray? And here's how I want us to close out and pray in with one another. And Could we pray that we would be men and women who have no fear of presenting the truth? Could we just... Let love so well up in our hearts and recognizing that that person at, at work who's such a jerk is just a person who's lost. They don't know God. They may say they know God. They may go to church periodically, but they don't know that truth. They're still blinded. Could we, just, could we ask the Lord to give us love for that guy who lives down the street, who keeps throwing his trash all over the place and it ends up blowing in your front yard, making you lose you know, the Yard of the Year, year you know, award? Could we pray... That we can have love for that guy who drives to work every morning and tries to sideswipe us in road rage. Can we just start asking the Lord to well let perfect love cast out all fear so that we can be bold with truth. Father, I pray right now that our church and me as well as the pastor, Lord God, that each and every one of us would be bold with truth. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for this testimony from a, from a man who says he doesn't believe you exist. But Lord God, the truth that he spoke out, Lord God, that I received, Lord God, that how much must I hate somebody to not tell them and warn them about the fearful expectation that awaits if they do not turn from the direction they're headed. Father, I pray right now that the men and women of this church will not be worried about you know, fear getting theological debates or worry about fear that they may offend somebody or worried that they may you know, not know exactly what to say, but they'll just start loving, loving and, and speaking truth. And Lord, I thank you for these great moments of truth. I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that each and every one of us would well up with love for hurting people. Lord, would you just reveal to us right now those that we've not been truthful with, those that we just didn't have time for, those that we just saw as another difficult person in our life. God, would you just help us to love the way you love? Now, if you just let go of that hand, that person next to you, keep your head bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I'll tell you, it's hard for me to go tell people truth because I'll be honest I've been running from it I've been running from God pastor I, I'm struggling I'm struggling in my faith 
I used to serve the Lord, but life happened and I walked away from him. I'm here today and, and as you've been speaking the whole time, I feel God tugging at my heart. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to reject Jesus another day. I don't want to push him away. I do recognize that there's a judgment to come and I want to be right with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the Lord's tugging at your heart. This is the moment to respond. The Lord says it clear in his scripture. He says, listen, now is the day of salvation. In other words, while you sense God tugging at your heart, don't push him away. Don't push him away. You don't want to miss that moment. When that moment happens, you feel him, you sense him. Respond. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've never been a Christian. I came to your church because a friend invited us. And, uh, and, and as you've been talking, I, I, I recognize some truth. And, and you're right. There is a God in heaven who created me. And I, I want him as my best friend. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. His advocate, Jesus Christ. I want to declare him as my Lord. The Bible says it like this, friend. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian or you've been away from God and you want to come home, I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I want you to make a private decision. Yeah, it's a public venue, but right there where you're at, I want to pray with you. But you do need to have some courage to yourself. You do need to admit that to yourself and admit that to the Lord so that as we pray, you know that, that, that you're really meaning it. And what I'd like you to do in that moment of courage, if you're away from God or you've never been a Christian, would you just own that fact by just lifting your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. With every head bowed, God bless you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else, pray for me. I don't want to leave this place without being right with God. Quickly, thank you. God bless you. Put your hand back down. I see it. Anybody else, pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I want to serve the Lord. I want to know God as my Lord and Savior. I want to make Him the Lord of my life. Give me about three seconds. I don't want to miss anyone. I saw you and you can put it back down. Anyone else? God bless you guys. Thanks for your honesty. Thank you, sir. Number of great men lifting their hand. Amen. Now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Those who lifted your hand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. I want you to be sincere and say, God, I mean this. And the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive you. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray this out loud with you so you're not by yourself. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today... I surrender. I'm tired of running. I accept the truth that Jesus is Lord. And I declare here and now that Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life. And here and now, I receive your forgiveness. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Jesus is my Lord. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand. Lord, I pray right now the peace of God, just the joy of God. Lord God, they know what it is to feel guilty about sin. We've all lived in that. But Lord, in this moment of just a dedication to you, making you the Lord of our lives, Lord, it's that simple. We don't have to give money to the church. We don't have to beg and plead and crawl on our knees and light candles. All we have to do is confess you, and then you come and take over. Lord, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit would well up inside of these men and women like never before. And as they walk out of this place, though the fear may come on them here and there, they will still know I am saved. God loves me. If I die today, I'm going to be with him forever. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we pray, Lord God, for mercy, mercy, mercy. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.